motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? <laughs> mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. Today we're going to be talking about why you don't have to be a master chef to be a good parent. I'm joined by Jane Black and Liz Dunn. Jane Black is a lifetime food obsessive and James Beard nominated journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and so many more. In 2022, she joined Jose Andreas Media as the editorial director overseeing podcasts. Her most important job is being the mother to her 11-year-old daughter. Liz Dunn is a veteran food reporter writing for The Atlantic, The New York Times, The New Yorker, and she's also the mother of three. Together, their podcast, Pressure Cooker, is their effort to sort through the crazy and offer support and validation to parents struggling to navigate manipulative marketing messages, impossible cultural expectations, and little people with big personalities. Liz and Jane, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So uh, both of you are the co-hosts of the popular podcast, Pressure Cooker. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and then why you started the show? Jane, I'm going to go with you first. Okay. So Liz and I are both journalists. We're friends. We actually were introduced by our editor at the Wall Street Journal, and she said, you guys should be friends because you're kind of the same person. And so we did. And, you know, during the pandemic, you know, we obviously were isolated, like lots of people were, and we really wanted to work on a project collaboratively. And so we started talking about, you know, what would we want to do a show about? And we're both moms, we're both food journalists, <laughs> motherhood and food, and how to kind of get away from the crazy was sort of at the top of the list. Yeah, it also is an area where, you know, we were thinking about what are the stories that we want to tell where we are constantly feeling frustrated because we can't get editors interested in them. And for whatever reason, anything to do with kids and parenting is kind of like a second class topic for a lot of media outlets. So we just felt like that was something that we spent a lot of time thinking about personally, but never got to talk about in our work. So it was like, if we start a podcast, this is our opportunity to tell all the stories that nobody else will let us tell. And so that's kind of where we came up with Pressure Cooker. I'll also say it's pretty unusual for reporters or journalists to become friendly <laughs> because we're all like in our own little, in our own little like holes doing our writing. And so we don't get to collaborate on work normally. And so this was like a, this has been an amazing opportunity just for the two of us to actually work on something together. And I'm so glad that you do because I absolutely love the podcast. And I'm glad that you're telling those stories. It's interesting what you're saying about parenting and kid related topics being sort of like a second class kind of thing because goodness knows like all I do is parenting and and kid related topics. So my mind is like just so in there all of the time and to the point where I'm sometimes like, wait, there's other news in the world outside of parenting topics? I think social media has been amazing for that. I think that's where you do see a lot of these topics covered really well. And it's in the 
the sort of legacy publications that we've been writing for, that they're not covered as completely. It's sort of like a revolution of the people, you yeah. know, that we're speaking <laughs> about it. It totally. is. And it was one of those things that as food writers, you know, our friends asked us all the time. I mean, these are the things that people sit down and talk about and stress about and worry about. And yet, you know, you couldn't get them in the newspaper. And moreover, there was a certain amount of, for me anyway, you know, having covered food for so long, you know, I feel like I know a lot and Liz knows a lot. And when you write a story for a newspaper, it's like you have to call an expert and get them to say it. And we just wanted to be more forthright and empathetic with people. We didn't want to have to be like, here's the correct answer, because that's sort of the problem. There isn't a correct answer. You're sort of finding your way through this, trying to gather all of the information that's helpful for people, but also give them options that work in their own life. Yes, that's everything that I believe and try to support too. So So on your show, you discuss everything from selective eaters to quick and easy recipes, I'm using that in quotes, to traditional gender roles in the kitchen. And so today, I want to explore how the concept of using convenience foods doesn't necessarily make you a bad parent right? You recently did a show on a similar topic. Let's explore that a bit, shall we? Yeah, absolutely. So God, where to begin? All right. So we have this idea in our culture. It's not new, but it does seem to be particularly loud at the moment that if you are a really, really good parent, especially a good mom, that means that you're cooking all of your family's food from scratch. And this is reinforced by, certainly by social media, it's reinforced all around us that this is the type of activity that makes you like a truly good mom, capital G, capital M. That is, I think, a very unfair thing to put on busy parents who, I mean, forget about making all of your dinners and, you know, bento box lunches and cute little breakfasts from scratch. You know, we can barely even get through the truly necessary things associated with keeping our children safe and, you know, cared for. So, I mean, this is something that we felt was really important to kind of talk about on the show because there's so much noise around us saying that scratch cooking is, you know, essential to being the mom that you see yourself as. Yeah. And I think it's important to think about why we're being told to do this. So in our day and age, I mean, I trace a lot of it back to Michael Pollan. I actually love Michael Pollan and I love a lot of what he has to say, but his argument, which really took the food world by storm in this century, really, was that, you know, the industrial food system is bad. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for your health. True. But his way of fixing it was to say, and therefore you should opt out of the industrial food system and you should buy everything locally and you should go to the farmer's market and you should shop at a million different stores and you should make everything from scratch. And while the idea of voting with your fork feels empowering, what it really means is we have this broken food system and we're going to dump all of it on you and you have to fix it. You have to exempt yourself from everything that might make your life easier to make a point. And my feeling is, yeah, it is bad for the environment and it is bad for our health. But so why don't we fix it? You know, why don't we come up with foods that make the lives that we live, which are very busy, very stressful, 
easier. You know, why can't there be frozen foods that are delicious and healthy? Why is it like, oh, you gave your kids a frozen meal. You gave your kids a TV. You're a bad mom. It's like, no, help me. Stop dumping everything on women to fix. Right. Because the reality is, you know, where is this where is this time going to come from that people are supposed to be spending scratch cooking? You hear sometimes people talk about, you know, and I won't mention specific chefs that I've interviewed talking about the importance of cooking, but, you know, people just need to get off their couches and spend a little bit more time. You know, it's not that hard to make chicken stock from scratch. You're like, who are these people? Who are these parents on their couches? Every mom I see, every parent I see is racing around trying to do laundry and get their kids to doctor's appointments and volunteer at school and yada, yada, yada. And so it it just isn't, we don't think, a practical expectation to say add in scratch cooking. We do all have this image of like the, or at least I do, the kind of farm wife from the 1940s and 50s who is making these beautiful roast turkey dinners and pies and everything, and that that was somehow a norm that we've moved away from. You know, I don't think that was actually a norm for most people. I'm I'm going to assume that was probably the exception to the rule and that privileged people, for the most part throughout history, have employed other people to cook their food and people with less privilege have not been making food that way. So I think we need to let go of this idea that, you know, this is the way that things used to be and we're somehow you know, not fulfilling our our responsibility to continue to do it. Yeah. And I just want to add one more thing, which is that, you know, one of the things that we do on Pressure Cooker a lot is kind of pull out the history. I'm a bit of a food history nerd. Liz makes a fun bit, of me about bit, this. A bit a of bit. a food history nerd. A lot of a food history nerd. <laughs> but, you know, this isn't the first time that we've heard this argument. It feels new to us because it's our lives. But throughout history, there have been people arguing for various reasons that women need to cook from scratch. I mean, in the, I think it was probably the late 19th century when you started to have commercially available bread. I mean, there were people who were hand wringing and saying, oh my gosh, if women aren't at home making their own bread society, you know, it's just going to crumble. Yeah. What's next? They're going to want to vote. if they. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, you know, again, it feels like this, but again, there is this echo. And I think it's also important to know that as you, as you hear all of this, it isn't always about you. It's maybe about things that are a little bit bigger. Yeah. It reminds me of the argument that breastfeeding is free. So often you hear that you're like, well, obviously just breastfeed, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And as, and as much as buying formula. But really what people tend to ignore is the incredible time that goes into breastfeeding a baby. And it's the same thing for cooking from scratch. It's sort of a concept of people, and I'm using this in quotes and I'm using this as society, don't value women's time as much as men's time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a sort of a famous story in the New York Times about a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago. And it was like, cooking from scratch is so much cheaper than eating at McDonald's. It's like, yeah, except you had to shop for it, you had to plan for it, and you had to cook for it. And that time is money. Yeah. And the reality is with convenience foods, I mean, and we say this in you know a lot of the episodes of Pressure Cooker where we talk about convenience, you do have to pay for it, right? And so, you know, if what you're looking for is the ultimate value, that probably means investing more of your time 
be prepared to to pay a little bit more, to budget a little bit more for that time saving that you get from a high quality convenience food. But I also just want to say, and we, you know, if society or businesses or our culture was invested in helping families to eat higher quality convenience foods, we could make them. I mean, the reason that convenience foods is synonymous with junk food is because we make them as cheap as possible. But, you know, as I think about all the time, there's this store in France called Picard that is basically like a grocery store with a bunch of chest freezers, and they have frozen food for everything. I mean, they have hors d'oeuvres, they have desserts, and they have these kids' meals that are available for two euros, which are gnocchi with spinach and Parmesan cheese and whatever. And that's something that you wouldn't have to feel bad about feeding your child at all. So it is definitely possible that you could bring the cost down. It's just that in this country, for some reason, we think convenience food should be junk, and high quality food should be made from scratch. And you see that in the marketplace. Yeah. And I think this goes back to Jane's original point that the answer to, you know, the whole food system, industrial food system is messed up and it's bad for our health. It can't be to turn the clock back and all of a sudden, you know, put all this extra burden on individual people. If we collectively decided to subsidize the right types of foods and make a concerted effort to make better quality convenience foods, like we we could bring the price down for everybody. Yeah. Because we can't turn back the clock. So we really need a solution for our modern lives now. I feel like we need to bring Picard here. I need it. Yes. We need it in New York. Why do. haven't they brought Picard here? I wonder whether that's ever even been I don't know. Like Liz and, now and I are gonna launch a Liz yeah, and I are I'm, gonna launch a pressure cooker brand. <laughs> I think you yeah, yeah, yeah. Frozen, frozen everything. Yeah. Yes. I am all about that. My grandmother, who God bless her, she was a phenomenal cook and she cooked most things from scratch as grandmothers may have tended to do. Actually, my one grandmother did, my other grandmother didn't. So that goes back to what you were saying before. It wasn't across the board, you know, back in the 50s. But my one grandmother, who was the amazing cook, she froze so much stuff. She had her own chest freezer in her basement because then she would cook in bulk, whether it was tomato sauce or, I mean, just about anything. And so she was constantly bringing out fresh food for us to eat. And my grandfather had a garden. So that's what it was. He, he would have so many eggplants. You couldn't eat, you didn't even know what to do with all of those eggplants. So she obviously would prepare those and, and freeze them for later. So I'm, I'm curious, did you ever talk to her about how she felt about all that cooking? She loved it. Okay. Because I think that was her way to show love for my grandfather and for my family. She's Italian American and she was an extraordinary cook. And even now, when I'm at a restaurant and I have certain dishes like barley soup, like beef barley soup or or the way that she made spaghetti sauce, it always instantly brings me back to her because she had just had certain recipes that were just so fantastic and so fresh. All of her ingredients were always so fresh because they came from my grandfather's garden. And I genuinely think she loved her or else she's the type of person that I don't think she would have done it. If right. She, she, was, okay. she was a little spunky. Does that make sense? You know, she but wouldn't have done it if she didn't love it. that's the kind of story that fuels this nostalgia, right? <laughs> I know. But then my other grandmother, like, not necessarily. She was a baker, you know, more. Like, she cared more to bake nice goods, like eclairs and stuff like that. But meals were not her forte. Yeah, and there are people, for sure, who 
their calling is to cook for other people. They just love it. I think uh, Jane's Jane's husband is one of these people. Actually, he just loves to cook. He loves to cook for people. It's it's his hobby. It's his passion. And so you know, for them, the scratch cooking it really does integrate very well with their lives because it's a creative outlet. And you know, it's it's perfect. Everybody wins. But there's an even larger group of people for whom that's just not what lights them up, right? Like it is, it's labor. And in a really unfortunate way, I think because it is a hobby and a passion for certain people, we tend to kind of dismiss the idea that it is labor for most other people. And and, and this is the gaslighting thing. I'm always talking about gaslighting, but you know, it's sort of presented as, what do you mean you don't love this activity? You know, like this is a way that you show love to people and this is fun and this is easy. And and telling people who don't like to cook that it's fun. They're like, oh, what's wrong with me that I don't find this fun? You know, it's fine if you don't find it fun. That's completely valid. This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. I fall into that category, Liz. I cook because I have to, not because I genuinely enjoy it. Sometimes I want to enjoy it. I, I want to be like my grandmother who's there, you know, making her own bread or pasta. Just the other day, my mom told the story. She's like, do you remember when grandma used to put her bread in front of the window so that the yeast would rise and that the bread would rise in front of the window? I was like, oh gosh, I don't remember that. But my mom almost had tears in her eyes thinking about that story. My mom is not necessarily that person either. You know, she, she's a good cook because she learned the recipes from my grandmother, but she's not a cook, I would call it, you know, and myself either. Like, I, I struggle each day at 4.30, I think, oh God, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? And it happens every night. It's not like it's, you know, I should know. It's, it's Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a little bit of both because I, before I had kids, I adored cooking and would plan and execute these completely insane over-the-top dinner parties. And after I had my first child, because, you know, I guess we have not yet revealed our status as mothers, right, Jane? We have not yet said how many children we have. So I have three boys, and they're eight, seven, and two. And when I had my firstborn, James, I just felt all of the joy that I got out of cooking, like, drain out of me in an instant because the physicality of motherhood was just sort of so overwhelming and i and cooking is a very physical act it's very sort of sensory and i just didn't have it in me anymore and i and i i find it's getting a little bit it's coming back a little bit as they get older but i mean for sure on a day-to-day basis i am not finding joy and relaxation and you know contemplation in cooking it's a it's a mission yeah i mean in another way i think to look at it is you know because Liz and I are both food people. A way to see the cultural expectation for what it is, is that even though we can make frozen foods and buy them at the grocery store and not grow things in our own garden and all that, we're still sort of told that we should. But nobody's saying, you know, you should go out and gather wood, you know, or you should <laughs> you should build your yeah. own furniture or you should understand so, electricity. Sew your, children, show your, show your children's clothes. 
So you're right. So your children's clothes. Exactly. I couldn't think of a, of a better example, but that's the perfect one. You know, nobody is saying that, but they're still telling us that we should be cooking. There actually are people saying that on Instagram, James. There are. James. They're I the homesteaders. <laughs> there are the trad wives, wives who are telling you that you should be knitting. Yes, but children. that's not like a mainstream. <laughs> I mean, I it's not as mainstream. No, it's not baggage that we all have for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And it's a good thing nobody wants me to know about electricity or building furniture <laughs> because that would it's be bad. safer that way. Yes. When I first had my son, you know, you get this concept in your head of I need to be a good mom. Therefore, I need to, like we said before, cook from scratch. And so when my son first started eating food, solid foods, I went to, actually, it was a store called Gourmet Garage, but it's not there anymore. Do you guys remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I used to go to, I I lived above Gourmet Garage. So it was like down. Yeah, super convenient. Talk about convenience foods. The one on 7th Avenue? No, it was on Park and 96. Okay. Okay. Got it. And so, yeah, that one's closed now. But when he was ready to eat foods, I would go downstairs and I would buy organic carrots, whole organic carrots, and I would wash them and I would peel them and I would dice them and I would steam them, and then I fed them fresh to him in the beginning. And that lasted, I don't know, a couple weeks. And I thought to myself, this is exhausting. And again, I don't think that I'm any better one way or the other, but it's what I thought I, and I'm using this in quotes, should be doing. I have this baby. I need to do what's best for him. I'm such a good mom. I'm going to dice these carrots. I'm going to peel them. I'm going to get all of the other ridiculous fruits and vegetables from this place, buy them whole, steam them. And I did. And then, I don't know, a few weeks went into that. And I was like, I'm just going to start buying those packets. Because around the same time, this is 10 years ago, you know, packets were introduced, you know, like the squeezy Mm -hmm. pouches, pouches, baby food. Yeah. Pouches. And God, that was a game changer. I didn't have to make my own applesauce anymore. It was a game changer. And guess what? He's fine. Because now, guess what he eats? Just about nothing. He yeah, there was, four there, was this, there was this meme circulating a while ago on Instagram that was like, you know, everybody like sort of kills themselves to breastfeed for as long as possible. And if they can't breastfeed, there's so much hand wringing. But then everybody's kids are eating fries off the floor of McDonald's two years mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. That is is so true. That would be my message for like the takeaway of all takeaways in our conversation is that doesn't make you making your own organic carrot puree does not make you a better parent one way or the other. Because like I said, now my son eats Doritos and chicken nuggets like exclusively. But I think that this is sort of gets to this idea about why do we feel so guilty? I think it's because you know, despite the moments where we don't love our children, we really do love them. We love them so much. And so we much. really want to do right by them. And then what's complicated, and, you know, sort of this goes back to why we started Pressure Cooker, is that there's so many people telling us what is right. And so many of those answers are conflicting. And it's really hard to sort through it all. You know, everybody acts as if there's this one answer and that if you're not living up to it, you are setting your kids up for failure. You know, they're going to be obese. They're going to have diabetes. They're probably going to be drug users and end up in jail. Seriously, though, our very first episode was about how important is family dinner? Because there were these studies that were circulating and sort of got a lot of traction that said, you know, 
children who eat dinner with their families X number of times per week get better grades and don't do drugs. And you were like, really? And so we really dug into the research. And this was really important, Liz, you can jump in here for you because you know, you have at Because I don't house, because I don't do that. No. Because <laughs> Liz I, is a bad mother. No. Right. Because <laughs> no, because like in our house, we have much more flexible schedules and actually have the ability to sit down together, but it, it's a lot more hectic at, at Liz's house in terms <laughs> yeah. of who's home when. But 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 my point was was that it turned out that this wasn't a really peer-reviewed research study. And that when you talk to people about it, the answer is, it's not about dinner. It's not about the time of day or the food. It's about having an opportunity to sit and talk to your kids. And you can sit and talk to your kids before bedtime. You can talk to them at breakfast. You can talk to them in the car. And yet, ask almost any mom, you know, whether they think they're supposed to be having family dinner. And they're like, yeah, but it's just, it's, it's just not true. Yeah, and that's one that people feel an enormous amount of guilt over. Just, you know, with people now with work schedules to two income families where both parents are out of the house and the pressure to have to race back into the house, put together a healthy meal, get everybody sitting down before your children are melting down and they're they need to go to bed. I mean, it was just driving. It is driving parents crazy. And I think this for it, it does the guilt does accumulate more to women. And my theory, completely unsupported by any scientific evidence, is that there's just something be- because of the breastfeeding connection, because, you know, women historically have been the ones responsible for feeding infants from the moment they're born, there is something really primitive going on for us about feeling that feeding is our responsibility. And, you know, maybe that's something that needs to be deprogrammed, but it it just does seem to accumulate more as guilt for women than it does for men. I mean, I, I know men who participate in feeding their children and who care about it and who care about the nutrition, absolutely, but I have never seen the same type of guilt from a dad about what they may be doing or not doing. So, yeah, from a guy's for a man's perspective, it's like you're welcome for helping out. <laughs> That's it. End of story. Yeah, and they're just like, you know, they're proud of themselves if they offer a nutritious meal, but there isn't there is not the same there is not the same like mania about what does it say about me that I can't do this on the nights where it's takeout or it's fast food or whatever. And this is, I think, getting back to scratch cooking, which is which is where we started. I mean, I think that the way that we sort of fetishize it is just an extension of a larger issue for mothers in general, which is only feeling that they're quote unquote good moms if they're performing motherhood in the most selfless and intentional way possible, whether that's cooking or whether it's what type of a birthday party they plan for their child or how much time and energy they have for play. I mean, there's just this idea that time and effort equals quality. Trust me, I could put all of the time in the world into my meal, and I don't think it's necessarily going to equal quality. (laughs) (laughs) We've had so many mishaps at home where I'll have an idea of like, oh, I have an idea for a recipe in my head and then I'm going to execute on it. And I don't always have all of the ingredients. And my husband's always like, oh God, here we go again. And so I'll like make this. And then it's just like a disaster. Case in point, during the pandemic, everyone's home making sourdough, la-di-da-di-da. And I wanted to make 
pizza dough, but I didn't have all of the ingredients to make pizza dough. So uh, I used pancake batter with the rest of the other stuff that I may or may not had. And so I put it together. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was there yeast? Did you have yeast? No. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you made you made large you made pancakes. pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I baked them in the oven, and then I added jarred tomato sauce and shredded <laughs> mozzarella cheese, and they came and maybe maybe mozz I don't know basil and oregano, and they came out. And do you want to know what they tasted like? Pancakes with tomato sauce? No, like hard cookies. Like if you could imagine, oh. like, because they were crunchy, you know, at that yeah. point in the oven. So they came out <laughs> like sugar cookies with tomato sauce on them. I feel like this is something that Paddington Bear would do. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly true. But here I was wanting to be a good mom during the pandemic to do a project together with my family because I felt like. We were on the screens too much. We needed to do something together as a family. And I'm rummaging through my pantry and I had like crap. I had like nothing in there. And I was like, let's see what we could make. And that was it. Sugar cookies with tomato sauce and cheese. Maybe it could have gone the other way and been great. Totally true. And I also want to pick up on this concept that you brought up of feeling like you wanted or needed to do a project with your kids and that cooking with your kids was going to be like this really wholesome thing to do. We did an episode on this in December, uh, cooking with kids and how it is presented as this fun for the whole family activity. And it is always, it's like, I don't, for me at least, it is one of the most stressful and stress-inducing things that I could do with my time because it generates so much mess and they never follow through on the cooking project. So that's another whole thing. It's like this sort of image, again, this image that I have of the 1950s housewife and her nice little apron. And she's like making biscuits with her children and it all looks very placid. And it is such a gap between like Instagram versus reality, right? It's such a gap between that image and what it actually feels like to cook anything with little kids. Yes. that I don't think I've ever had more stress in my life than cooking with my son. I don't know why, especially when he was a toddler. He's 10 now, so he doesn't care. He's hanging out with his friends. But <laughs> when he was younger, it was so stressful. Because again, you're thinking, this is what I should be doing with my child. We should stand next to each other. I should let him crack the eggs and all of this. And I'm sure there is a certain school of, of parents or of parenting that I'll say like, yeah, absolutely. They need to learn how to do this kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, but maybe not when they're three. Yeah. No, it's ridiculous. They can't do anything when they're three, except sit there and kind of nibble on things and pretend they're helping. And I think that was sort of the lesson that came out of that episode for me, was that it it isn't fun and they're not helping. Like if you go into it thinking they're going to help, you're going to be very disappointed. But if you go into it like this is an activity that I'm doing with you on a Saturday when I am not trying to get dinner on the table, Right then then fine, like do it if you want to. But this idea that you're like, you're going to help me make dinner. It's like, no, you're not. You're going to get in the way. You're going to spill things. You're going to potentially cut or burn yourself. There's nothing that's going to go well for little kids, really little kids. Yeah. We talked to two women who ran a cooking school for children. And 
the biggest thing I came away with was that my ideas about what kids could do at different ages were completely off base. Like I was expecting way too much from young children. And that I think that we do that, to be honest, a lot in circumstances that are not just cooking with kids, like to come back to the family dinner thing, which is like a big, you know, I I now am at peace with it thanks to our wonderful episode, but had been occupying a lot of like space in my brain, this thing of, you know, I always pictured myself as a mom who would sit down and have dinner most nights with my whole family. And I've seen TV shows where that happens and it looks great. And that's just not reality for my family at this point in our lives. We have a babysitter who feeds the kids and I eat with my husband, like standing up over a counter at some point later. And I realized after we worked on this episode, when you have a At the time, I had a a one-and-a-half-year-old. That is a completely different zone to be in than a person who has even a four-year-old or a five-year-old. And that for mothers of babies and toddlers especially, you need to give yourself some grace and like delay some of the expectations about what you think family-like life will look like until you have two hands free. You don't have a human or multiple humans that need to be held, right? Like that's a whole different world. So- And I think that goes for, you know, cooking with kids, family dinner. I think that goes for certainly this like bigger topic of cooking from scratch. That is really hard to do with a toddler. So ladies, what are your tried and true favorite go-to recipes? Jane, I'll start with you. Okay. In my house, we are big fried rice people. I like it because it's a really great way to use up leftovers. So even if I have to make the rice, you know, sometimes we have leftover rice, but it's sort of whatever you have in the house. You know, if there's meat, if there's vegetables, if you have just a couple of vegetables, you can always add egg. So it's a really easy thing, really satisfying. The other one we eat a lot, which is kind of old fashioned, are salmon cakes. And I'm kind of surprised that my daughter likes them, but she does. And I'm just not asking any questions, you know, can of salmon, really affordable, really healthy, you know, mix it with a little bit of vegetables, egg and some breadcrumbs. And then of course we fry them. You could bake them, but they're more delicious when you fry them. And my husband insists you have to eat mashed potatoes with salmon cakes, which to me are too much work, but really any kind of roast potato, baked potato, whatever, and salmon cakes. That's a total go-to. So for me, there are very few things that I cook regularly for my family that require an actual recipe. It is, you know, our big ones are we do basically every week pasta with a meat sauce that is a jar of Rayo's tomato sauce plus carrots, onions, celery, and some meat. We do a taco night almost every Tuesday. The kids love that, Taco Tuesday. And that's great because it can kind of be as simple or elaborate as I have time for. If I have extra time, I might make some like more fun toppings for the adults, but you can also just do it super, super basic. And then the one that we turn to, I think, the most is what I call grain bowls because that makes them sound more interesting than they really are. I roast a vegetable in a really hot oven. I toss it in olive oil and salt to make it super crispy. And then I combine that with brown rice or quinoa and then just whatever protein I have in my fridge, which is often rotisserie chicken. I'm going to come over to your house for dinner, both of your houses for dinner. That sounds incredible. Now, those really are quick and easy recipes that I don't think would necessarily gaslight moms. Right. I hope not. I would hate to be a gaslighter. We're not gaslighting you, <laughs> com. Yeah, that's it. Hashtag we're not gaslighting you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I am going to try those, though. Those sound amazing. Ladies, tell everyone where we can find you. 
So you can search for Pressure Cooker wherever you get your podcasts, or you can find us at pressurecooker.fm or on Instagram at pressurecook underscore FM. Ladies, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.